this sucks. Hello, and welcome to Play This, the podcast where two old friends talk about video games. I'm Max. And I'm Daniel. And this week, these two old friends are joined by a third old friend, <laughs> who, well, he's younger than us, but he's an old friend in the sense that we've known him for half of our lives. Yeah. Almost as long as the two of you have known each other. Almost. I'm Sean. It's Sean! Yay. Yeah! It's me again. <laughs> I was in the uh, Game of the Year episode, and I also wrote the theme music for this show. Apparently Sean can just introduce himself. Yeah. I'm he really has... great at it. <laughs> he has no need for us whatsoever. I'm taking over the podcast now. You guys can go away. All right. Today we're going to be talking Take about... Away, Sean. <laughs> Welcome to Play This, the podcast where Sean monologues. Now. <laughs> That's what this is now. But uh, this is actually the podcast where uh, Daniel and I, and for this week, Sean, talk about video games, what's going on in the world of video games, and then we recommend a game to each other and play it. Yes. Um, it's a little bit more about the game that we played coming up uh but uh how's everybody doing this uh fine saturday in chicago great pretty good i just had some fried eggs and i'm ready to go i've got my water what else do you need man that com- that question generated a lot of interesting conversation i know <laughs> <laughs> so this is a kind of interesting week getting started talking about video game news because daniel actually came up with a really great idea given that we think that the video game section of our podcast the new section of the podcast is getting a little bit long in the tooth you know we wanted to streamline it slim it down a little bit Mm -hmm. and then in the last two weeks pretty much nothing happened in video (laughs) games so it was a great week to to bring out this new plan right uh, because we're only going to talk about a few small items and going forward we will continue that idea where we only talk about few things that happen in the news rather than a larger conversation uh, and then the world just happened to help us this week by having nothing happen in it yeah very slow news weeks (laughs) <laughs> apparently you're a snake now <laughs> i i almost said newsweek but then i realized that we're a bi slash tri-weekly show so well we i try very hard <laughs> <laughs> so the first piece of you know kind of lackluster video game news yeah. we're going to talk about uh is uh the re- video reveal for kingdom hearts the new kingdom hearts game yeah, and what right. we learned from that video uh, Monsters Inc. That's that's the main thing. That's well, the which you already we knew about, but we got to see more of. Well, we didn't know know about it. It got leaked. Well, right. right. It got leaked earlier, but we didn't have any straight conversation from Square Enix. This was Square Enix confirming that we get a Monsters Inc. World and boy, did they confirm it! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about this because Monsters Inc. is my favorite Pixar movie. Um, I think it's certainly among the most creative world building they've done i really like the story um and i think it's just a a treat to watch so uh i'm really excited about like running around in the monster hunter world as monster sora with monster hunter world sean you might be getting a little ahead of yourself Yeah, well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna go in there and kill Mike and Sully and make materials. Uh, no, that's out of the their crossover skin. I need in my life. <laughs> right, but yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> uh, I'm really excited about this world because Monsters Inc. is my favorite Pixar movie, um, and so it's going to be really cool to run around in that world and kind of see what they wind up doing with it. I thought the design for Sora as a monster was so cool. Yes, I, like, yes. I love that. I love all the monster designs. I love uh, also the memes that have come about because of the way Goofy looks in that trailer. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll maybe we'll retweet some of those. Right? Yeah, uh, good call. I've kept tabs on the Kingdom Hearts series for pretty much the entire franchise. Like I, I know all the games that have come out. 
But the only ones I've really seriously played are the first one. I've gotten halfway through Chain of Memories like two or three times, but I never beat it. And I've I played a decent amount of two, but I never beat that either. Right. But I never got to Birth by Sleep. I never got to Dream Drop Distance. I never got to the DS spinoffs. Well, this is really interesting to me because as we've talked about in the podcast before, Daniel, your style of video games is you hate playing them out of order. Like <laughs> yes. more so than anything. I think it really, even though Fallout 1's not super great, it still grinded your gears a little bit to be playing Fallout 2 without having played Fallout 1. A little bit. I still think you made the right decision yeah. in the end. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear you talk about so cavalierly that, you know, the interest in playing Cap, uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 without playing the other games. And part of that is because Kingdom Hearts has an impenetrable story that no one needs to care about. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It just feels like impossible to catch up on everything like i mean you have to play like so many different games on so many weird systems and there's like <laughs> stuff in the mobile game that apparently counts for what's going to be happening i mean it's you know they really spread themselves out kind of over a lot of uh stuff to a degree where it just feels exhausting to catch up on kingdom hearts yeah and i mean even it was pretty clear even in kingdom hearts one that the story wasn't going to matter <laughs> Here's the thing, though, in relation to what you just said about me generally wanting to experience all of a franchise so I have full context on the latest installment. I do have a game plan for experiencing the other Kingdom Hearts games before 3 comes out. (laughs) I'm not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) I've decided that it's really hard for me to get through Chain of Memories, so in the next couple months, I want to either watch it online as a movie or watch Sean play through it because he loves that fucking it's, game. It's my favorite Kingdom Hearts game, and I'd really? be happy to do that. Yeah. yeah, I really like Chain of Memories a lot. Any yeah. specific reason? Um, I think that the card battle system is really fun, uh, and that's about it. <laughs> I, just, I just really enjoy. <laughs> you do the battle love card battle game. Yeah, I do. I also love card battling. Oh, games. you don't say Yu Gi Oh. However, Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories just feels weird for me. The way they try to combine the sort of actiony gameplay style the kingdom hearts has with the card game i can't i can't wrap my head around both of those things happening at the same time my head is completely wrapped around it in like a heart shape <laughs> that's, that's what's happening that's a fun mental me. image <laughs> yeah so but here's my question <laughs> how much time are you talking about here is that that's some time a lot of what's time. the potential return on investment for you this is what i don't understand about this mentality and, and it's not to say it's a wrong mentality we just have opposing ones. Mm-hmm. How much enjoyment will you get out of that? And how much will that increase your enjoyment of Kingdom Hearts 3? Because for me personally, hearing that, it sounds like it wouldn't come out in the wash for me. I would hmm. rather not invest all that time and just play Kingdom Hearts 3 and understand that like, well, the story I already don't care about is going to be less comprehensible to me right. than invest all this extra time with games I don't care about to maybe increase my satisfaction a little bit. The thing here is I do care about some of those games. Like, the Chain of Memories thing is probably kind of a chore that I'm going to subject myself to. But I'm invested. I want to, like, I want to play through 2, I want to play through Birth by Sleep, and I want to play through Dream Drop Distance because I generally think that they will be fun video games to play on top of getting the bonus of that additional context once I get to 3. Well, I guess we'll have to see. Uh, how, <laughs> no, I mean, we'll, I, uh, we'll, we'll get an update from you. Yeah, uh, exactly. I'll be curious on. to see because... I mean, that's a lot of investment. Yeah. In a time when there's a lot of other legitimately good new video games to play. Yeah, and, um, and that's the thing. We'll see if I even get to right, that. Right. There's there's a chance that Game Hearts 3 will come out later this year and I won't have even 
watch Chain of Memories, you know? And again, this isn't to to poo-poo your mentality on my end. It's just mm-hmm. so different from the way that I approach games. Yeah. But I understand that, you know, you do view games as a, as a collector and mm-hmm. you like to have the context and the full experience. And it's not to say that I don't, but I think there's a different level of uh, willingness to subject ourselves to the worst parts or, <laughs> or the less interesting parts right. of a game's history. Um, so, yeah, it's again, like I said, it's not to make it sound worse. Yeah. I'm just, it's just interesting to me because it's so foreign to me. Yeah, that's fair. Even though I've known you for 39 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, yeah, I just, I just love knowing the history of a thing. It makes the experience of anything better to me when I know everything about what I'm experiencing. And yet you never thought about studying history. <laughs> well, I like history of things that are cool. <laughs> Unlike the world. <laughs> Suck it, world. <laughs> What's kind of funny world. about this whole conversation is that um, Daniel and I, like, we live together. We've been friends for a long time, and we obviously have similar tastes in video games. But the way that we like to experience video <laughs> games could not be more different. Yeah. yeah. You know, he has this kind of, the you know, this mentality, which I think is actually really admirable in a way. I, I appreciate your stick with this idea that, mm-hmm. like, before you play Kingdom Hearts 3, you want to get, like, the Kingdom Hearts experience. You know, you want to <laughs> make sure that you've kind of gotten everything that you can out of that franchise first. If I had never played a Kingdom Hearts game and then Kingdom Hearts 3 came out, I would play 3 and then never play any of the other games. Well, and, like, <laughs> I'm with you, and this actually ties in super well to the game we'll be talking about in our main segment today. Right, right. Um, this connection I'm making maybe because I went to the gym and then didn't eat afterwards, so my brain's in a weird space. <laughs> but, like, he, I agree with Sean. Hearing Sean talk about appreciating Daniel's mindset and, and how admirable it is. And I, I guess I feel like I'm just, like, he's an alien I want to dissect behind a screen. <laughs> like, I want to understand where this alien comes from and its and its mentality, but I have no desire to to be that alien. <laughs> but, but I went to the gym and I didn't eat, so my brain's in a weird space today. Not sure how comfortable I feel sitting next to you. <laughs> what, do you what do you mean, Daniel? I'll put the scalpel away. Man. We're doing that later. <laughs> I think right, we yes. I think we covered that topic pretty pretty yeah. extensively. Yeah, New World seems cool. Um, there's still lots of dudes in uh, like trench coats and hoodies scowling, and I guess yeah, that's fine. Sexy anime man. <laughs> cool. Sam's. Well, I mean, we're all probably gonna play it, so yeah, right. we'll yeah. talk more about it in the future. Yes. The other uh, news item we wanted to talk about, I don't think we need to talk about this one for very long, mm-hmm. um, was there were some pretty convincing. Uh, fake pokemon leaks convincing yeah. and excellent and excellent yes, yeah, yeah they were all I, and great. i think generally speaking my litmus test my canary in the coal mine for whether or not a pokemon leak is good is if it gets daniel to believe that it's real <laughs> and this one did it right. did yeah i was i was on team real for for a little bit there mm-hmm. the designs were just very pokemon yeah they were all really cute there there was this uh there was this grass lemur this fire rabbit and this water platypus yeah, yeah. the designs were all really great the people looking at the Japanese that was like written underneath the leaks and stuff said it was authentic Japanese. If it was a faker, they really knew what they were doing. And, and then uh, it was a, it was a it faker. was it was a faker <laughs> yeah. who really knew what he was doing. Yeah. I think the biggest tell for me, like after looking at it after I found out it was fake, was like the the color scheme for the uh, for the lemur, the grass lemur, mm-hmm. was too muted. Yeah, it didn't fit the color scheme of the other two Pokemon. The grass lemur was definitely my least favorite of the three designs. I think it was probably also the least favorite of the designer who designed them. <laughs> um, I historically uh, usually pick the water starter when I'm doing a Pokemon game, 
And I would have been perfectly happy to choose the platypus if it was the real water starter. But that's the first time that I would have been like super jealous of fire starter people because that rabbit was great. Yeah, yeah was really I, I am plus a plus rabbit. Yeah, I am a fire starter person. I methodically and religiously pick the fire starter the first time I start any generation, and I was all in for that rabbit. I was ready for that rabbit. But the platypus was also really good. And now, like down the line, like Daniel and I were talking about this earlier, we're going to find out what the starters are, and they're not going to be as cool as those fake starters. Right. It was a fun night to believe. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a good, yeah, like 12 hours or whatever. Well, yeah. I don't know. It, they they weren't confirmed to be fake for a little while longer than that, I think, uh, right? They, okay. they leaked late one night, and then the next morning he was like, yeah, it's me. I'm some right. Italian guy leaked. that draws Pokemon. So those, that's the news for the week, really. <laughs> I think we should um, uh, tweet out the fake Pokemon. So anyone who is listening to this and hasn't seen them, uh, we're on Twitter. It's yeah. Play This Podcast. So if you want to see the fake Pokemon leaks or if you want to see the uh, some of those sweet, goofy memes, we'll, we'll post some of those uh, this week. All right. So that was the news. And uh, now we're on to our middle segment. What else are we playing now? I think the answer for this will probably be Daniel has the most variety, so let's have him go last. Yeah. Uh, Sean, why don't you start us off? You're our guest. Sure. Um, So, one of the free PSN games for the month of February was a game called Grand Kingdom. And uh, I downloaded it, and I played a little bit of it when I wasn't playing Monster Hunter. I probably clocked in about two hours. Um, It's a very cool little game. It's it's kind of... uh, You... You uh, control this company of mercenaries, and you move around the battlefield kind of as though it were a board game. Like, you have a little piece, and you kind of move around, and there are different tiles that do different things. And enemies are moving around on it as well. And when you run into each other, you fight. And when you're fighting, it's this sort of turn-based... It almost feels like two-dimensional Valkyria Chronicles. Like, there's sort of three lanes, and I'm gesturing right now, but nobody who is listening to this podcast (laughs) will be able to see what I'm doing. Just gesture these... extra emphatically. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, and then then they'll be able to hear the whoosh as my hands move around. Um, but there's three kind of horizontal <laughs> lanes. <laughs> <laughs> let, let him describe the video. I'm putting game. my hands down. <laughs> um, there's these three horizontal lanes. <laughs> I didn't do anything that time. I did nothing that time. <laughs> Um, And you move your character kind of across and between the lanes to attack other characters. And you have your melee characters. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We broke Sean. Uh, By we, I mean me. Yeah, yeah, what did I do? Yeah, we. Okay. That must be the royal we. (laughs) The royal we. Yeah. Um, But you move your kind of characters around across and between these lanes to attack. Um, You have like melee and ranged and spells. And uh, it's just... um, um, it's exactly the kind of game that I really like, which is to say that it's a game where, like, clearly the guys making it had a lot of really wacky ideas, and they just threw them in there, and, like, maybe they didn't polish it as much as they should, you know, maybe they didn't streamline it as much as they should, but I kind of, I appreciate what they're trying to do so much that I really like it a lot. Um, and, uh, after I'm done being completely addicted to Monster Hunter for the next 12 years, I will, uh, <laughs> I will definitely, you know, be putting some time into Grand Kingdom. I think it's a really cool game. Yeah. When I saw you downloading that during one of our Monster Hunter sessions, I was like, oh, hey, free game. So I also downloaded it and the yes. art style is really engaging. So yes. I'm looking forward to giving that one a try as well. Cool. Um, I think based on 
the games that I know you like, that you will like it. I think of yeah. all of our friends, I think you and I have the most crossover in, in games. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. We're, we're definitely both tactics people who right. enjoy sort of moving pieces around the battlefield and spells and things like that. So I love a spell. <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't? <laughs> Daniel. Um... <laughs> Another game that I've been playing a little bit, um, which uh, makes sense because it was my game of the year in the Game of the Year podcast. Check that shit out. Um, is uh, Injustice 2, a fighting <laughs> game that features, uh, you know, DC Comics characters battling it out. Um, they just got their most recent and possibly last uh, DLC characters oh, released for the game. Possibly. Yeah, po- well, we'll, we'll see. Possibly. You know, we, it hasn't been confirmed or denied either way, but this is usually when support for another Realm game ends. Yeah. Um, but uh, the Ninja Turtles are in the game now, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, and I really like the way they've been implemented a lot. Um, basically, Injustice 2 has this kind of gear system where you're able to equip, you know, your, your fighter with different pieces of gear, um, that can kind of change around their stats in non-tournament matches. And, uh, when you are selecting the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle character slot, Depending on what kind of weapon you have equipped, you get one of the different turtles, and they have like different moves depending on which one you're playing as. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, my favorite is Leonardo, uh, since he leads, <laughs> and his whole thing is that he can kind of summon the other turtles in as like assist characters. Um, so you know you can suddenly like call Raphael in to throw some shriekens, or or um, Michelangelo like slide forward on his skateboard. Um, I was always a Donatello kind of guy. Yeah, that's fair. He does machines. <laughs> Donatello is really cool in this game. He basically has a bunch of inventions that he's made, and he can throw them onto the field as traps. There's one that like prevents the opponent from jumping for a set period of time. There's one that like puts up this little force field that projectiles can't go through. Uh, that's neat. And then does he bash people with his stick? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he, he, has, he has a few moves with his uh, with his bow. Yeah. Right. Yes. With the staff. Uh, and he has like a cool like anti air like he like thrusts his, his uh, <laughs> he he thrusts his staff up in the air and uh, and like impales the enemy on it and like brings them down to the th- thank you for the wishing noises to, yeah uh, now now our uh, listeners at home will know that Daniel was uh, physicalizing each enthusiastically of those emoting uh, Donatello uh, using his staff but no he's yeah he's cool um, he, very frustrating to play against. Because I um, I like to, you know, I, I typically do combos where in the middle of them I kind of jump and do a jumping attack. And if he's thrown down one of his traps, it prevents my character from jumping. And so I'll be like in the middle of my combo and then it's like, oh great, now's the part where I jump and I'm going to go up and do it. Ah, shit, I couldn't do it. And it just throws me off every time. So, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's cool. Nice. Yeah, turtles are great. Yes. Um, so those are really the only games I've been playing besides Monster Hunter because Monster Hunter World has consumed my entire life. Uh, um, Max, why don't you uh, talk about the games you've been playing? So uh, I have mostly been playing Monster Hunter World. And I've, I kind of maybe already knew this about myself, but I've definitely learned even deeper about myself through, through the process of doing this podcast. But when I play a game, I pretty much only want to play that game. Right. It's hard for me to jump back and forth between games at the same time. Um, and this, this is true for me across media. Like, I know a lot of people who can read multiple books at one time and quickly switch back and forth between those headspaces. And I've never been that person. I need to read one thing at a time. Um, 
and it's definitely been made clear for me that that's also how I approach video games. Right. Um, so most of what I've done is played Monster Hunter. I typically am a go back and forther, but for Monster Hunter World, <laughs> that is not true. Um, please continue. Thank you. Yeah. In addition to Monster Hunter, uh, we uh, Stephanie and I did go on a trip last weekend, and so I downloaded um, Sexy Brutal for the Switch. Oh, nice. Um, and I put a couple hours into that. So far, I'd say I'm not convinced, um, okay. though I can see the potential. Okay. There, there are some mechanic elements of it that remind me of playing 999, which is a game that I hate um, <laughs> because of its mechanics. Um, so I'll we'll see if, if I can, because I'm still very early, if like that can be mitigated for me or not. Right. Um, I definitely will put more time into that game. I, um, I, I think there are a lot of things to love about it. And uh, it comes very highly recommended, well-reviewed. Friends of mine who've played it really love it. Right. Um, so I'm excited to, to dive into it more and see if it's a game I want to recommend to you down the road. <laughs> um, but I'm struggling a little bit in the early game. Okay, a couple questions. First of all, I've heard some dodgy things about the Switch port of that game. How is it? Um, there are a lot of loading times and a okay. lot of loading screens. Mm. The time itself isn't extended. Like, the, the loads generally go pretty quickly. Okay. Um, but uh, even, like, looking into a room sometimes will need to load. And there's not mm. a screen that you move to, but there's, like, a little, you know, like, a little clock in the bottom that shows that it's loading content. Uh. Um, so there are little quality of life things like that that are definitely not so great. Have you heard any other things about the Switch port? Um, I can't recall any specific complaints just that it's a bad port i think just like crashes and frame rate issues and other than the the loading uh issue i haven't had any other port issues but like it's still two hours or so into the game so i could have crashes ahead i guess okay second question i didn't realize that you hated 999 but we've had this conversation i knew that you dropped the game for various reasons but i didn't realize that you associated the word hate with yeah it's a little hyperbolic um <laughs> that's you're right i don't hate the game okay. i hate playing the game okay um and i don't love the story i think it's there are there's a genre of games where it's like the story is so cynical and so dark that it's just so unbelievable to me okay and that's one of those games it's just like grimdark just doesn't do it for me i okay. i never believe it in a game it doesn't draw me in i i guess i can understand that what's interesting is Grimdark doesn't do it for me in most Yeah, but mediums. you love that, and you love Danganronpa. Yeah. And in games, you love Grimdark. I, I haven't played 999 myself, but um, Danganronpa can be kind of, like, self-referential, and, like, there's kind of a lot of, you know, there's sort of a twisted humor to it that really sets the yeah. up. Uh, yeah, Danganronpa, I would not call Grimdark. Some dark things happen in it. But it has this well, I balance. Mean, many dark things. Yes, happen. yeah, a lot of dark, <laughs> a lot of dark things happen in it. The concept is very dark. Yes, but it has it has this comedic element to it, and it it balances humor and a lot of light hearted stuff with the darkness of the story, and in a way that compels me. Really, actually, um, my favorite thing about the Danganronpa franchise is just like the sort of slice of life segments where yeah. like these hostages are living in a school that's controlled by a terrorist organization and they're just living their life, you know? Yeah. And, like like you're, <laughs> you're hanging out with characters while they just do random stuff. Like that's, that's my favorite part of the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it's like, Oh no, a terrorist organization has captured us and is forcing us to kill one another. How do we take our minds off of this? pool party right yeah like let's make donuts together (laughs) yeah i guess to clarify the point for myself it's i don't engage with cynical media right across any uh stream i think that generally speaking that's true for me too like um i really uh 
I, I have trouble buying into stuff that's kind of like, um, I guess that's kind of super sarcastic and has a nihilistic worldview, if yeah. that makes sense. Like when it feels as though they've just kind of given up on everything and so they're just snarking until the end of the right, world. Like, like that drives me nuts. I have zero interest in watching Black Mirror, for instance. Uh, like, right, it just doesn't right. interest me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think, though obviously not the same, I have the same feeling about playing a game like 999, which okay. then is inhibited even further by its, I think we can all agree, poor mechanics. You know, I certainly have heard, for instance, that unlocking all the endings in the first 999 is a very frustrating experience. It is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree completely with that. It gets better in the second and third games. And I think the recent remake of 9991, uh, the non Files, I think that fixes it to an extent, but I don't know to what extent because okay. I haven't played it. Sure. But yeah, I 999 is more dark and more cynical than I usually bother with. And I'm I'm not sure why. I just think it tells a really yeah. cool story. Uh, you don't always yeah. know why you right. engage with something. Yeah, so there's there's exceptions to every rule, especially yeah. when it comes to like the kind of things you like or don't like. Yeah, right. the Zero Escape franchise is a big exception for me. It's a big exception to the rule of me loving games that are generally whimsical and well, and more lighthearted. I think fun. I just realized what the best game of all time for you would be. What's Zero that? Escape. Ape. <laughs> if you get a smash up of zero escape, Z- escape. Z- zero ape escape no well you it's have just, to keep the flow oh i see yeah <laughs> zero escape ape i think we landed on it nine monkeys nine capture nets nine doors <laughs> welcome contestants you may call me zero Spectre the monkey <laughs> has got a helmet that makes him super smart Solve these puzzles. <laughs> oh, uh, Ape Escape is Daniel's top three game of all time. It's definitely in my top five. Yeah, I'd say it's in my top three. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What have you been playing, Daniel? I've been playing a few games. Uh, first, I've been continuing on with my Pokemon Crystal Nuzlocke. And for the folks at home who maybe aren't familiar with Pokemon and Nuzlocke, what's a 10-second description of a Nuzlocke? Yeah, Nuzlocke is a self-imposed rule set for Pokemon that's designed to make it harder. Uh, there's just two main facets to it. One where you have to, you can only catch the first Pokemon you run into in every area. And if you don't, you don't get a second chance at it. Exactly. And second, when one of your Pokemon faints, it's dead. You release it, you can't use it anymore. Also, my third favorite thing about Nuzlocke, just to point it out there, is that you have to name all your Pokemon, yes. which is such a twist of the knife. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, like basically the, the Nuzlocke is A, designed to make the game harder, and B, to make you use Pokemon that you usually wouldn't use in a normal circumstance and to sort of attach yourself to these weird Pokemon that you usually wouldn't go out of your way to catch. I've been playing through Crystal. I beat the third gym recently. Uh, the third gym of Crystal Whitney is notoriously hard. She has this mill tank that sort of has ended entire runs, uh, and I managed to beat her with a very well-tailored strategy without a single casualty. I started with uh, with my Ghastly and, uh, and like, cursed the mill tank huh. uh, while she was using normal-type moves on me that wouldn't work. Uh, then, I, then I used Hypnosis on her. Then I swapped her out for my graveler who just magnituded her to death it was very satisfying nice, yeah. Nice. yeah i and this is what nuzlocks are about is because you would <laughs> never have that experience in a normal pokemon game because they're so easy yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. generally yes. there is a there 
Oh yeah, generally. Yeah. There, there is a, a level of satisfaction that comes with doing something successfully in a Nuzlocke that you just don't get in normal Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, I've only, I've had two deaths so far in my run. My first was my Togepi that I named Re. Most of my Pokemon names are are named after OCs that I've made for Danganronpa campaigns. <laughs> Table, so, tabletop campaigns, we should say. Yeah, for um, for yeah, we're we we are in to that franchise. <laughs> yeah. to a degree that I, is embarrassing. Yeah, to talk I, about. I've built and yet here you are. <laughs> I've I've built an entire tabletop system like based on the things that I like about Danganronpa's story structure, and uh, you might see that someday. Look for it at Gen Con 2018. <laughs> Definitely to... ready by then. <laughs> no, Don't no, listen no. to Daniel. <laughs> so ready. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm sorry, Daniel. Please continue. But yeah, your, uh, like yeah most, most of my names won't make sense to people. But, but my Togepi died because I couldn't resist using Metronome all the time with that Togepi. And uh, I used Metronome... And then it used explosion and it died. <laughs> but then my my second death was an Abra, which I actually managed to catch. It was now the, that's rare. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I I ran into it was my first encounter on on a route between like the third gym and the fourth gym. I caught it with a great ball. I just threw a great ball at the beginning of the match. I managed to catch it. I named him Blaine. After David Blaine, that that name makes sense to people, probably. <laughs> uh, and then I went to the Eevee Palace, where, like, all these uh, shrine maidens have a different Eevee evolution. I was having Blaine at the front of my uh, my roster. I was having him up front and then trading him out at the beginning of every match so we could gain experience points. And, uh, and I did that against an Umbreon. The Umbreon used a move called Pursuit where it attacks Pokemon that are switching out, and he died in one hit. So so those those are my... Yeah, those, those have been my deaths. Uh, and those are two Pokemon that are, like, really hard to lose, you know, yeah. I feel like, in, in a Nuzlocke of Pokemon Crystal, because they're both quite good. Yeah, those those were rough losses. But uh, I still like the rest of my team. I got a Totodile named Sue, a Graveler named Sakura, a Pidgeotto named Blair, a... Bellsprout named Carolina, my Ghastly named Lavender, and an Eevee named Earl Grey that I plan on turning into an Espeon, because gotta have that psychic coverage. Now they don't have an Abra anymore. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's that's been fun. I've I've been enjoying this Nuzlocke run. Have you played anything else other than uh, Pokemon? Yeah, uh, Blanca came out for Street Fighter V. He's cool. I love Blanca. I love... He was... The first Street Fighter character I played when Street Fighter Two yeah, was in too, arcades. Yeah, when Street yeah. Fighter Two was in arcades, I'm like, I'm picking this weird yep. green guy. Oh, hey, if I mash the button yep. a lot, the electricity happens. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it sounds very familiar for me. Yeah, uh, and then like he was the first guy that I tried out in Street Fighter Four. I eventually graduated to Dan, but I still have a very graduating. <laughs> I eventually got held back to Dan. <laughs> uh, but yeah, remedial classes with Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very soft spot for Blanca, so I'm really glad that he's playable now i tried him out he feels great he's still blanca but he has uh he has some new additions to his tool set that make him really annoying to fight against and that is my jam uh you like being annoying to fight <laughs> yeah yeah i do 
sometimes I do too. If I'm playing a zoner in a fighting game, I want to be as annoying as I possibly can. Yeah. So I get that impulse. Nah, because my my playstyle when I play fighting games is to get in my opponent's head and uh, and then sort of take control of the match. So when I when I play a character that's annoying to fight against, the opponent gets frustrated and does predictable things to try to stop me, and that's when I win matches. Uh, still doesn't happen that often. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that great, but... But you have fun doing it. I yeah, do. I, do, I have a really good time. Every character in Street Fighter V has these little story vignettes you can play through. Blanca's is very cute, uh, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. The last game that I played besides Monster Hunter World since the last episode is The Longest Five Minutes for the Nintendo Switch, and it's also on PS Vita, I think. It's this very old-school style, very sprite-based, turn-based RPG where the game starts at the final boss, and you are a character that has lost your memory of what happened up to that point. Uh, your character's name Flashback, and... You uh you basically like you start the final boss and then you play through memories of the rest of the game. It's basically just this this old school RPG that doesn't do a whole lot different besides the in media's res like gimmick that it starts with. But it's it's still pretty cute. I I've had a good time with, with like the five hours or so that I've played of it, and some of the sprite work is gorgeous. Like the beginning where you fight the final boss. Uh, that boss just is a good piece of sprite work. He's a good chunky, chunky bit of, of sprites. <laughs> <laughs> he looks great, and the soundtrack is also surprisingly good, uh, especially the final boss theme that you get to hear throughout the game. Which is good because if that wasn't good, then that would be bad. Yeah, <laughs> well said. We're all good at words today. I uh, I have watched you play you know um parts of this game yeah it's not very exciting to watch maybe it's more <laughs> exciting to play but i'm just sitting there like this is just like an rpg maker game with an interesting hook you know <laughs> like that's kind of how i feel about it it's i spent 40 dollars on this game definitely not great at that price yeah, point that was like 30 dollars too many dollars <laughs> I, I, I think i would have been happy to spend 20 dollars on it okay uh, 15 would have been great. Yeah. So yeah, actually, like, the fact that I I spent so much on it made me feel like, okay, this game is going to be a bigger experience than I think it is. Right. And then it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fascinating what decisions game makers make when they price their games and what signals they send to the purchasers right. by pricing it at a certain level. Yeah, yeah. Man, it, it must be like a crazy process to figure that out for developers. I don't envy them. The Longest Five Minutes uh, has been kind of disappointing, but I love that concept, and I might I might give it more of a shot down the line. Great. So those were the games that we all played while we were playing Monster Hunter World. Uh, before we actually dive into the conversation about Monster Hunter World, we did get a piece of email from a fan of the show uh, about the game we talked about on the last episode, which is Persona 5. So wanted to share that feedback now. So in reference to Persona 5, the email says... I agree with you 100% on the problematic content. I prefer Persona 5's gameplay and Persona 4's story. My, my protagonist dated in Persona 4. I abstained in Persona 5 because it felt predatory. Mm. I'd have forgiven the lack of a gay option if the straight ones were less sketchy. There's a handful of late game lines that let the protagonist flirt with Ryuji and Yus Yusuke, but they don't respond. 
It felt like the translators throwing some sad crumbs to the secondary audience. <laughs> the two sassy gay men in the uptown district were unpleasant, but I enjoyed Lala the drag queen bartender. The same thing happened with Mass Effect Andromeda. I enjoy romance and most Bioware games, but Andromeda made it feel like Ryder was sexually harassing their coworkers. And uh, I appreciate, obviously, thank you uh, for sending in uh, this email. The, the uh, email uh, was uh, asked to remain anonymous, so I won't say your name on the on the show. But we appreciate you sending in your thoughts. We thank yeah. you so much for for the email. And we also appreciate the email because it highlighted an area of the game that Daniel and I, and probably Sean also, from what you watched of the game, also didn't super love, but didn't really cover yeah. um, as much yes. in in our discussion of the show. Dan, I don't know if you have any thoughts you want to add to that. Yeah, like I actually really appreciate our emailer bringing this up because one of the things I felt we accidentally glazed over, uh, we talked about the lack of LGBT representation in Persona 5. Uh, We didn't really talk about the representation that was there, uh, and most of it was bad. (laughs) Yeah, there's some really troubling tropes in that game. Yeah. It really leans into some stereotypes, and what's... I mean that's that's bad on on a on a functional level, obviously. But what's even more frustrating about it is um, the heterosexual characters don't have tropes or stereotypes in the same way. Yeah, it's only these secondary uh, gay characters that get shown in this really stereotypical light. Um, a stereotype stereotypes also aren't even necessarily true about actual people who live in the world. They're kind yeah. of these media created stereotypes right. that these characters fall into. Yeah. Um, and they're also really problematic. Like it dips into pedophilia, which the game does anyway. Right. Um, and it's just, it's gross. And yeah. we didn't give that, uh, in all of the things we talked about in the last episode, we didn't really cover this. So really appreciate, um, you sending this thought in so that we could cover that on the show yeah. and kind of rectify that on our end yeah i appreciate that also i liked lala too and lala the bartender was a really cool character i think it's also a sign of the lackluster representation because she's probably the most important character in the game that doesn't get a character portrait oh that's a really good point yeah yeah i didn't think about that yeah um persona like maybe that's maybe that's a blessing in disguise because i'm sure that character portrait would not have been flattering right uh just the way they've treated lgbt characters like lately yeah <laughs> i wish lala got more screen time and more respect i guess like I, I wish they gave her like a cool character portrait and and some some more importance because she ended up being kind of more more important than probably the developers expected <laughs> her to be in yeah. The end. yeah yeah can i just say with reference to this email um, that first of all, I agree with the things that were said in it, but second of all, that I really like the use of the phrase sad crumbs. <laughs> uh, yeah. That got, I got, I got a silent chuckle out of that. Uh, that was, that was good. good I agree. With good, you. good writing, uh, Anon. So, uh, once again, thank you, Anonymous, for sending the email in. If you also out there would like to send us an email, uh, about anything, a game you played this week, um, your response to the, uh, to the, uh, Kingdom Hearts 3, I almost called it Monster Hunter World. That's just where my brain is, let's be honest. Uh, your response to the Kingdom Hearts 3 uh, video, anything you want to talk about, feel free to email us. You can email us at feedback at playthispodcast.com and you can reach us on Twitter at uh, playthispodcast on Twitter. <laughs> so, moving on yes. to finally, Sean is panting in anticipation. <laughs> the reason we have you on the show this week we played Monster Hunter World. Yes. 
Yes. So a little bit of background, both about the game and our experiences of the game before we dive into a larger discussion. Um, Monster Hunter World is a game that, that came out this year on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and it is developed by Capcom. And it is a game in which uh, you are a monster hunter and uh, you are tasked with killing larger and larger and more powerful and more powerful monsters. And that is what the game is. Um, our experiences with the Monster Hunter each are really different, and I really love that. Um, <laughs> Sean is a longtime fan of the series, which is understating it. Daniel has <laughs> dabbled in the series before, though hasn't given it a lot of time. Yeah. And this is my very first experience with Monster Hunter. Before we dive into the game a little bit more, do either of you want to talk about those experiences in the past with Monster Hunter? Um, sure. Yeah, I have been playing Monster Hunter since Monster Hunter Freedom Unite uh, for the PSP which was kind of an enhanced port of the second game, which originally came out for the PlayStation 2. Uh, so that means that I've been playing Monster Hunter for 10 years now. I did play a lot of it uh, in college and, uh, and in, in the world beyond. Um, I get pretty much every new Monster Hunter game that comes out in the States. Uh, no, that's not true. I get every Monster Hunter <laughs> game that is new that comes out in the States. Uh, and uh, typically play them pretty extensively, with the exception of Monster, the Monster Hunter 3 generation, which I wasn't a huge fan of. Um, and uh, I really love the games. I, I recognize that historically there have been some problems with them, but I am perfectly willing to ignore its, the franchise's flaws and just appreciate everything that I like about it. And Daniel, what's your experience? So my experience... I'd say 90% of my Monster Hunter experience is vicariously through Sean. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, Sean being my friend and, and living with me for several years, I kind of hear Monster Hunter coming from a 3DS in the living room more than I've seen it. Uh, but he and uh, another close friend of ours, Tommy, both really wanted me to experience Monster Hunter. So they decided that my first game should be Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate for the Wii U which Sean uh, these days says is probably the worst game in the franchise. Yeah, in, <laughs> so in hindsight, unfortunate. Well, yeah, in hindsight, like the whole third generation was not good. They uh, they tried introducing aquatic combat, and there are diehard fans of the underwater combat in the third generation that will defend it and wish it would come back. I am of the opinion that it was terrible. <laughs> it's really really frustrating to hunt monsters underwater. It like completely changed the way your weapons worked just kind of negotiating kind of moving around in 3d space was really frustrating i really didn't like the implementation of that and then in particular for daniel's kind of first hands-on monster hunter experience to have been the wii u version they just kind of like took the 3ds version and then like blew up the textures so it Ugh. looked really shitty oh god and uh you just really hadn't gotten a lot of the like when monster hunter 4 came out there were just so many quality of life improvements in that game that, you know, it makes the third generation look really awful by comparison, I think. So it's a shame, you know, in hindsight that that was kind of your onboarding experience. But uh, but it was. And we've had to deal with the fallout of that ever since. Yeah, I basically decided that Monster Hunter was not my thing. I did not have a lot of fun with that game. It just felt like a grind. We'd find a monster, we'd each do the same repetitive move on it for 25 minutes, <laughs> and uh, then it would run to another zone where we'd have to deal with the zone like loading as we like crossed over, 
and then Will in it for like another 10 minutes, uh, and then it died. And uh, then I got uh, a tenth of the stuff I needed to <laughs> uh, to progress in the game uh, so that I could fight that monster nine more times. Anyway, I didn't have a good time. I didn't have a good time with it. I played... I, I gave them, like, a courtesy, like, 10 to 15 hours with that game, and then I, I didn't touch Monster Hunter again until Stories, which is a spinoff that's nothing like the rest of the franchise. It's more like Pokemon. That plays like Pokemon, and I thought that was a very cute experience that I liked. Like, I think that, you know, um, first of all, I do want to say that I don't think it's unfair that after your experience with that game, you decided you didn't like Monster Hunter. <laughs> and I think it's okay, broadly speaking, if people don't like Monster Hunter games, including Monster Hunter World. Right. You know, it is, even now, even now that they've made a lot of improvements that we'll talk about, you know, as we really do a deep dive into World in particular... Um, I think that it's still kind of a niche experience that might turn some people off uh, for various reasons. Although sales would not indicate that. That is Monster true. Monster Hunter World you know, is selling that's, that's true. insanely well. Yeah, selling like hot It is cakes. selling like the hottest of cakes. <laughs> so that's all of our experiences with Monster Hunter leading in. Again, this is my first time playing Monster Hunter. Of course, being friends with Sean, I've seen it before. Right. Uh, but it's my first time playing. Um, I don't think there's a lot of spoiler territory in this game. We'll obviously talk about some monster bosses right um but i think out of courtesy we can give our brief spoiler free thoughts so that if anyone out there doesn't want to hear a more in-depth conversation about monster hunter world you can cut out after that right for everyone else we'll start going in depth um my spoiler free thought is i love this game um i think about this game when i'm at work which <laughs> doesn't happen even for games i love i didn't think about persona 5 when i was at work right i think about playing monster hunter when i'm at work that doesn't mean i like it better than persona 5 it's just a different experience mm -hmm. and i i love it um, yeah, I also like this game a lot, and I think especially because I sort of have this context that neither of you have, which is that I'm very familiar <laughs> with every previous game in the Monster Hunter franchise. Um, so looking at it from that angle and kind of seeing the ways that they've improved on this experience and made it both more accessible but also less frustrating and I think more fun, um, I, I really, really like game a lot would you say it's your favorite game that in the franchise my question too <laughs> um i would say that this game is right up there with monster hunter for you um which uh came out for the 3ds and uh which i have a lot of fondness for because it has a lot of monsters in it that i really like and i think it also has the most compelling story in the monster hunter franchise including monster hunter world uh which does not have a compelling story <laughs> um it would be tough for me to choose which one I like better, but Monster Hunter World is certainly in my top two Monster Hunter games ever released. Speaking of Monster Hunter 4, you uh, and Monsters, um, Sean wrote up a really great post on Medium.com uh, highlighting some monsters of previous generations. Uh, we will link to that in Twitter and on Facebook so you guys can read it because um, it's a really, really great rundown of some of Sean's favorite monsters, primarily featuring monsters uh, from Monster Hunter 4. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Daniel, your spoiler-free thoughts. My spoiler-free thoughts are that I had a lot more fun with World than I was expecting. I think it is a vast improvement over 3, and I think the game really hits its stride and opens up after you beat like the, the main story in the game. Uh, when I was playing through the main story, there was a lot of bits where I just was not into it. And, we could tell. And... Uh, and I especially hated playing through the early parts of the game by myself. Yeah. Uh, like, the game just dragged for me when that happened. 
and I was having I was having more fun when I was playing through with you guys. Right. But I think a lot of that is attributed to to you two being uh, a couple of my very best friends, and you guys make anything I do more fun. Aww. So I, I wasn't really except I, for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I wasn't really crediting. Uh, I wasn't really giving the game too much credit until I got past yeah. the main story. Once right. I got past the main story, I think some aspects of the game that really annoyed me just kind of stop happening yes. after mm-hmm. after you're done with the main story. And I was able to enjoy myself a lot more, even even to the point where I was doing a couple missions without you guys and not hating it. So on one hand, I think this time that there is a really good video game uh, in this package. On the other it's one of those games where you have to play it for 30 hours right. before it's a really good video game. Right. And uh, the Final Fantasy 13 problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that I thought about a lot as I was playing this game was that like, uh, like Final Fantasy 13, like, like a lot of other games where there's kind of a really long wind up, you really yeah. have to invest a good chunk of time, you know, yeah. more time than some other games take to beat right. before the game kind of really opens up and you're able to do whatever you want. Um, and you know, I think, I think that that's worth doing, but I also think that that is just a fault yeah, in the game's design. For sure. Yeah. So those are our general spoiler free thoughts. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, if this game is hard to spoil really, but yeah. if yeah. for any reason you don't want to listen further until you've had a chance to play the game, now would be a good time to, to look at Daniel's timestamps that he'll <laughs> put in for the episode and you can catch up with us after we have a conversation about Monster Hunter World. Um, so yeah, we're going to do that now. <laughs> and I think... I want to immediately respond to all of what you just said because there's a lot there to unpack. Yeah. And there's a, that's a lot of the meat of Monster Hunter World. And I will say that like the majority of our time playing this game, at least for Daniel and me, Sean uh, played it a little bit before we started to and had to go back and catch up with us, which I'm yeah. sure wasn't super fun for him. Um, but the majority of our time playing this game has been together. Yeah. And that's, ironically, early game, one of the worst things Monster Hunter World does. The mechanic where uh, you have to have seen a cutscene before (laughs) you can join someone's hunt is mind-bogglingly stupid. It's so dumb, especially when you consider the fact that the story doesn't matter. Right. Like, I mean, (laughs) I would... I... I, uh... I find it difficult to believe that most of the people or even like some of the people who played this game were like, wow, I can't wait to find out what happens next. In this <laughs> of, like the handler being annoying. Right. Like, I, uh... Which monster will almost kill the handler this time? <laughs> right. Yeah. And then I have to go in and rescue her or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't understand why they deliberately designed these story missions so that if I want to play with Daniel, I can't go into the story mission until he's seen all the cutscenes related to the story. Why can't they just play we, the cutscenes for everyone? Which is exacerbated there? if you're doing a hunt of more than two people. Yes. And yeah. and they haven't seen the cutscene. Because yeah. what would happen is Daniel and I would each have to launch the mission separately, yeah. go see the cutscene, then one of us would have to leave the mission yeah. and join the other's mission. Yeah. That is such an infuriatingly frustrating design choice, especially when... It's not, it doesn't take a little bit of time to launch into the mission. You're playing on a PS4 Pro, which the game performs much better on. Mm-hmm. On a regular yeah. PlayStation and on the PS4 Pro, it still takes like a minute to launch into a mission right. sometimes. So yeah. it, there's a lot of time in between. It's not like you just go into the other room, see a cutscene, then come back out. You've got to launch him. you got to go find the monster, which mm. sometimes takes up to 10 minutes on its own if you yeah. don't know where you're going. Yeah. In an early game, you don't know the maps. Yeah. Yeah. Then you've got to see the cutscene, leave, 
join the other person's mission, yeah. get into their mission, go find them and the monster, and then you can finally play the game. And even now, <laughs> there are situations, you know, even now that we're kind of in, like, the, the plus-ranked area right. of uh, the, the post-game game content. Right. Yeah. There are still situations where, like, for instance, um, we were hunting uh, Teostra, an Elder Dragon, uh, last night, and Daniel was doing it for the first time. Um, we had to wait for him to see the cutscene where Teostra reveals itself. Then we had to load into the game. Then we had to run to where Daniel was. And during that span of time, Teostra had beaten the shit out of him. <laughs> right. yeah. Daniel had used really almost all of his mega potions. He was fighting yeah. it for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like that was time where we could have been in there distracting the monster and helping him fight it. And right. I could have been running over with herbal medicine and healing him. Yeah. And it's just really, it's it's so dumb that, that, that they like chose to design the game in that way like it's not a glitch it's something they chose to do it's better now in the post-game content because generally monsters are easier to find and the cutscene happens faster right yeah so you notice it a little bit less and also you've gotten used to it so it's a little bit of stockholm syndrome yeah but it's still like just doesn't make any sense it's just a fucking cutscene yeah yeah it's yeah Yeah. daniel what are your thoughts on it oh no i you guys have uh said it very eloquently to the point that i don't have to and i think that problem made like a a personal problem happen that made me personally enjoy the game less where like because we couldn't really play the game at the exact same pace uh we were at different like we were at vastly different parts of the game at one point so at one point max uh decided uh that maybe he should play through some of the story on his own so that when i played through the story he could just uh, jump in at the soonest convenience instead and, of us both having to see the cutscene, then jump out and jump back in the right. game. Yeah, uh, and you know that was fair. That was more convenient. Uh, Max ended up getting so hooked on the game that he beat the main story. Like, like he played ten hours of content ahead of me. Uh, that then I needed to catch up to. And there were points where like Max and Sean were playing like high rank missions that I couldn't join because I was too low rank. So I was just like sort of running around like fighting uh fucking kulu yaku while they were like fighting nergigante this this is uh, a little hyperbolic yeah this is a bit (laughs) hyperbolic but i I felt like i felt like really behind and like my my fomo was was tweaking out majorly and this is what's really disappointing about this game from from like a, a, a player's perspective is that for me and i think for a lot of people the game is best when you're playing with other people yeah i I don't really have much of a desire to go hunt a monster by myself i just Mm -hmm. don't think it's that fun right i think the game is amazing and sparkles when you get to play with your friends yes but what was happening was that reluctance that you were feeling was coming across yeah like we could feel it too and then that made like a a snake in its own tail where it's like you're behind you're not really jazzed about getting caught up so you're not getting caught up so you're getting further behind yes what happened eventually was you just did it yeah which is not anything anyone wants to say about playing a game there's never a it's never a good (laughs) sentence when you're talking about a game you're like well i just did it (laughs) but eventually you just did it and we helped you along with that yeah and now playing the game with you is so different because like you're genuinely enthused and like loving parts of it that's coming across yeah and like that cycle shouldn't have happened right yes that should should never have happened but no you you are 100 percent right if it was possible to just play through story mode, like, legit co-op the whole way through, we would have been playing at the same pace. I would have liked the early parts of that right. game way more right. instead of instead of being 15 hours behind you guys at one point because catching up wasn't fun for me. Right, right. right. Uh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of the early content in that game that's just not fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, 
the thing about Monster Hunter is building better weapons and better armor. That's the hook. Right. Yeah. Which means, fundamentally, early game, you're using bad weapons and bad armor, so <laughs> right. it's not fun. It, now, last night, we hunted uh, the Great Jagras a couple times. The Great Jagras, a, a high rank Great Jagras. Great Jagras is one of the early uh, game monsters. It's actually kind of a fun design. Yeah. We were killing the Great Jagras in under a minute and a half. Yeah. Early game, because your gear sucks, even for a competent player like Sean, who doesn't need to get into the like daniel and i mechanically needed to learn how to play the game sean didn't and i should add that i even though i i was well into high rank by the time daniel and max uh, started playing i was kind of leveling myself down i was using uh low rank weapons and armor so that it wouldn't feel like i was just stomping these monsters (laughs) well you're the point i think sean's making is that your character doesn't level up your gear levels up so he was able to be a new player with us when we were starting the game by just using fresh gear right yeah but so the point is you know now even if we were using slightly worse gear, we'd still be able to stomp a great Jagras in under two minutes. Yeah. But early game, a monster like that takes you 15 minutes, 20 mm-hmm. minutes, because your gear just isn't good enough. Right. Yeah. Um, so fundamentally, you know, the early game of Monster Hunter is worse than the later game. Yes. That's yeah. exacerbated when you can't play it in the way you want to with your friends because the game is limiting that capability for no functional reason. <laughs> yeah. For no yeah. reason at all. I don't think they made that. I don't think anyone at Capcom was like, this will make the game better. Right. I think it's like, we're not going to devote the time to figure out the problem of how do we have these things sync across the internet or whatever they needed yeah. to figure out, they just didn't do. Right. If I could provide some uh, monster context, if you will, um, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, I think that historically um, the designers of Monster Hunter have been kind of stubborn about a lot of its features. Like, this is certainly the most divergent Monster Hunter in terms of gameplay that I've ever played. They're really adding in a lot of things, changing the way things have worked historically. In previous Monster Hunter games, all the way up to the most recent Monster Hunter game released prior to this one, um, there was a single-player story and a multiplayer story, and you played them separately. Uh, So this is the first game where you can play every mission, you know, with someone. Um, And so I think that this is is not to excuse, you know, this at all, but I think that... um, a lot of the reason why it's so janky is that they're trying to kind of preserve this experience that you've had in previous games where you're kind of going through the single player story, but allowing you to get help for it if you need help. Yeah. Um, and uh, unfortunately, they uh, implemented that in the worst way they possibly could <laughs> <laughs> instead of doing it in a way that made sense at all. We, we've said a lot of words about this specific problem in Monster Hunter, but I think the, the way I want to frame it for myself and if you guys want to say anything, of course you can. But there were times where I felt guilty playing the game because I knew it was putting Daniel further behind. <laughs> and I knew that that was frustrating him more. Right. Like it was, a, it was a cycle. Yeah. And so like there were times I was, I felt guilty playing the game, which like, A, I wanted to play because I love the game. <laughs> right. B, I knew I needed to play so we could talk about this fucking podcast. Right. So yeah. like there was a work related reason and an enjoyment related reason. Yeah. And I still felt guilty, which what game designer wants their gamers to say, <laughs> I feel guilty about playing this game. <laughs> that's for me. That's where I, I want to leave this frame. That's, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So some other thoughts uh, about the game. Um, uh, Sean, you kind of mentioned some quality of life improvements. Yes. Um, I think we could talk a little bit about what those are and why they're improvements. Absolutely. Um, so you have a lot more flexibility when you're kind of doing things in monster hunter world. Um, in previous Monster Hunter games, you could not join quests after they'd begun. 
So if you got kicked, you just lost out on whatever you were doing. If your friend needed help, you could not step in and help them out. You were just locked in with kind of whatever party member you went in with. Um, you could not swap out, you know, equipment and items and gear uh, while you were on a quest. You just kind of had whatever you went in with. If you forgot to eat, if you forgot to bring cool drinks, you had to abandon the quest and launch it again. Um <laughs> Instead of having these scout flies, which are these kind of firefly sort of things that will track monsters for you as you which find are traces of phenomenal them. phenomenal. I bad. love that system so yeah. much. Instead, <laughs> in previous games, including Monster Hunter Generations, the most recent previous Monster Hunter game, you just fucking wandered around until you found the monster. <laughs> then you threw a paintball at them that would track them on the map. There was a monster in monster hunter freedom unite and he's been in some other games too called blanganga which is kind of big monkey thing <laughs> one of its moves was just to wipe the paintball oh my God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that, is, that is so mean oh, yeah yeah Fuck uh, the developers why would good. they do that it's not good <laughs> that's so um, mean i in uh in previous Monster Hunter games, uh, the zones were separated. As Daniel was saying, you had to kind of load into a zone as you were going into it. Yeah. Uh, whereas in this game, there's just kind of one big loading, and then you have the whole world kind of open to you. Which is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. There's just... Oh my gosh. Like, the the degree to which this game is kind of leaps and bounds ahead of even, you know, Monster Hunter games that came out one, two years ago cannot be overstated like it's such a huge advancement for the franchise relative to its prequels um <laughs> this is so dumb in previous monster hunter games if you wanted to say uh, consume a potion to recover your health your character would stop perform an animation where it drank the potion and then do this like cheering thing <laughs> 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 and then you would be able to keep moving around so, like, in, in World, you can walk and even run while you're consuming a potion. And if you get interrupted while you're consuming it, you still kind of recover the health that you recovered because it kind of does it over time over the course of the animation. Yeah. In the old games, <laughs> if you get whacked before that whole thing is done, you just don't get any health back. <laughs> and also, you can't fucking move while you're standing there. Um, <laughs> so it, it was It was such a frustrating experience that they added in an armor skill that you could gem in that would increase the speed of that animation. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I'm so glad that I started with World. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sad that you started with three. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there were so many things wrong with that game. Yeah. Uh, and there's so many things right about World. But anyway, um, we, we can move on from that now before I get even, Well, even that's just not a quick highlight of some of the various quality of life improvements yes, that so the many. game is I, and there are probably even more that we're not thinking about or talking yeah. about but um they really put a lot of thought into the gamer experience in every way except for how uh multiplayer works <laughs> right no absolutely yeah which is something that capcom tends to take a while to get right this generation anyway <laughs> that's a little street fighter joke <laughs> <laughs> so i've been excited to share this thought i had in the shower a couple weeks ago or like a week ago about why I love Monster Hunter so much. Okay. And mm. so it's a shower thought, so it might not make any sense to anyone but me. Okay. But it does make sense to me. And I think one of the reasons I love Monster Hunter World is, uh, and we talked on the show before about how into sports games I am and how many sports games I've played. Yes. The loop in Monster Hunter World is essentially the same loop in a sports game. Hmm. Um, especially thinking about sports games um, that are inspired by like ML, uh, Major League Baseball The Show, which was... Uh, first started i think maybe in the late aughts maybe the mid aughts which was a series that turned sports essentially into an rpg uh you had a baseball player you created your own baseball player 
um, you chose a position. You played that position. You started off in the minor leagues with bad stats. And depending on how well you did in games, you got points you could spend to increase your stats. And eventually you made it to the major leagues of the team that you signed for. And then you just did that. So, you know, in high school, I made a pitcher who started off as really bad in the minor leagues. And then eventually he became great. And I would just, you know, play games, get points, make my pitcher better. And then just do that for 70 hours, (laughs) something like that. Monster Hunter World is essentially the same game loop. You start off with a character that isn't very good, can't do uh, much damage. You go out, you do the same thing over and over again, which is hunting certain monsters to make gear out of them. You turn that gear into better gear, and then you go out and you just keep doing this progressive ladder, which feels very similar to me to the ladder in a sports game. Hmm. So I, I think that's why it felt immediately so right to me, was because like, oh, I recognize this loop. It's just through a different lens. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I can definitely see where you're coming from there. Um, and that core loop is really kind of what's kept me playing, you know, these right. games in spite of the kind of janky mechanics and odd design decisions. And incomprehensible or unnecessary story. Right. Um, with the exception of For You, which has an excellent story, <laughs> is that uh, it's just very satisfying to me to kind of once you kind of get into that groove to be in a situation where i can just say to myself man i really want to use a great sword but i don't just want to use a great sword i want to like use it really optimally i want to kind of craft a situation where i can use it the way that i want to and it's really satisfying i think that i'm going to hunt diablo so that i can get the armor which gives you like quick charge and all this other stuff okay what's he weak to he's weak to this okay so maybe i'll first i'll make this weapon uh, so that I can hunt him effectively. Oh, but then I need to make an armor so that that <laughs> weapon will be really effective against him. Uh, okay, what do I need to do? Okay, well, maybe I'll use this weapon to hunt that monster. It's kind of like this endless loop of right. self-improvement. Which isn't necessary for other people to love the game, but like is how you love the game. Exactly, right. yes. I I am the kind of Monster Hunter player... I'm like this with fighting games, too, actually. Like, I never play one character in a fighting game. I play, like, half the cast because, you know, inevitably I'll figure out, like, oh, this character's good for countering that character or whatever. With Monster Hunter, I really don't specialize in one weapon. I use, like, half the weapons in the game. Right. And then I make armor sets that are specific to those weapons so that they'll be the best kind of weapon situation that they can be. Um, and then sometimes I'll make multiple weapons with multiple armor sets to complement each kind of weapon. Right. Like, I'm I'm absolutely kind of a collector in that <laughs> respect. And that's how I get so much mileage out of the games is just endlessly thinking, like, ooh, maybe I should try this. Right. And then trying that is something that inevitably takes, like, 10 to 20 hours of gameplay <laughs> to actually achieve. Um, I love that. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, what were you going to say? I think it's really interesting to me to hear that take of why I love Monster Hunter World uh, because there's a couple things uh, that I know about you as a person uh, that uh, make it really interesting to me that you love Monster Hunter World so much. <laughs> Uh, the first being that actually last episode, uh, we talked, uh, about Persona 5. Uh, you mentioned that grinding in a video game is never fun. Right. Monster Hunter is grinding the video game. <laughs> that That's what I thought my experience with Monster Hunter was going to be going in. And honestly, I feel like if I had started with any other Monster Hunter, that would have been my experience. <laughs> right. Because I think all the quality of play things we've talked about are really off-putting to me. Like, picking up an item takes two seconds. Right. Yeah, you yeah. have to stand still. And if you get hit while you're drinking a potion, you're fucked. You yeah. can't play with friends in, at all times. Like, those things I think would have really inhibited my experience yeah and i thought going in that it was going to be that kind of grindy nightmare yeah but what i realized was that it doesn't feel like grinding to me it feels like playing a sports game 
Hmm. And that is something I've spent more time doing than anything else in video games. <laughs> it feels so much less like JRPG grinding to me right. and more like playing a sports game. Okay. In JRPGs, oftentimes the, the, the hard cap mm-hmm. is level. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't matter how skilled you are at the game. The hard cap is level. If you're not at a certain level, unless you use certain tricks and right. cheats, right. you're not going to beat up a, a boss. It's just not going to happen because you don't have enough health and you don't do enough damage. Right. In Monster Hunter, the hard cap is skill. There are people who do naked runs of Monster Hunter where they don't wear any armor and they use weapons and they kill monsters that way. You don't have to have better gear to kill a monster. All you have to have is skill. Yeah. And I'm not good at the game. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not personally skilled. Can I just say, though, that both of you have improved so much since you first <laughs> started the game. Thanks, Sean. So I, much. I think I promised I wouldn't say this on the podcast, but I like to call Sean Monster Daddy when we play the game. So <laughs> thanks, Monster Daddy. You're welcome, son. <laughs> but no, I, uh, I, I mean, I mean, it's really been, it's been cool to, for it to kind of go from like, okay, I have to protect Daniel and Max because I don't know what they're doing, <laughs> to like, I can't wait until Max gets here and starts smacking the shit out of this monster with his hammer. I can't wait until Daniel gets here and starts like shooting off the monster's tail with his bow. You know, um, it's uh, it for me personally, it wasn't a chore to play Monster right. Hunter with you guys when you were new because I'll play Monster Hunter no matter what the circumstances are. <laughs> but it's definitely more fulfilling now that you've both kind of come into your own and figured out how you like to play and, and gotten better. Well, that's sweet. Yeah. Thanks, Sean. Thanks. Thanks, MD. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, right, does world. that make sense at all, given the worldview, you, the view you had of me before? Does that jive at all? Or? Uh, yeah, it, it does. Uh, especially like. Uh, the fact that you'll love something if you can equate it to sports, that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> sure. So, uh, so yeah, definitely. The second thing that's interesting to me, and like I have more context on it now, is that you're generally not that big on action RPGs. That's true. And I think Monster Hunter qualifies, you know? That's a really good point. Yeah. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't even have a response to that. <laughs> no, and I'm not in like a... Yeah, yeah I just... Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, just just an observation I made, yeah. you know, like yeah. I... And there are are action RPGs I've gotten into over the years. Like I put a lot of time into Kingdom Hearts one, right. specifically the uh, the arena. I think yeah. I put like probably fifty hours into that thing alone. Oh, well, yeah. the the arena of any game is the best part of that game. <laughs> not Monster Hunter World. I like the arena, but it's not the best part. <laughs> that's that's fair. It's fine. It's not well, yeah, bad. Or the the arena trope. I should yeah, say. Yeah, where yeah, it's yeah, like sure. here's a bunch of optional bosses that you can defeat. Like that's my jam. I'm yeah. there. <laughs> and I I was aware of of your love of Kingdom Hearts, but that always seemed to be the exception to yeah. How you felt you're about right, RPGs. and especially like uh, action RPGs in this and the previous it, generation right they're i generally find them very bland mm-hmm. and i guess monster hunter is anything but bland mm. Mm. well i'm gonna so i'll turn that question back around on you because you i don't think love action rpgs necessarily but right. you enjoy them more than i do yeah that's how correct. does this feel for you in that uh regard how do you feel monster hunter world handles that idea of grinding okay within an action rpg setting uh you know i thought i'd like it way less when I went in um, because my experience with three was sort of just hammering against the same thing, doing the same exact attack over and over in monster Hunter three, your weapons had like a main attack and a sub attack in most cases. Right. Um, I mean, I would say that you definitely have kind of more varied attack patterns and combos uh, in this game than you did in three. 
I do think that if I'm remembering right, you were using the hunting horn in three. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. And uh, that... that is a very simple weapon. Um, really, what make well. Uh, I, I can, Daniel just looked at me askance like a confused dog. And, uh, <laughs> um, I guess the the way that I want to frame it is that actually beating on the monster with the hunting horn is a very simple process. You mm. have like probably less than ten different attacks that you can do, and even less in in three. Uh, what makes the hunting horn complicated is you know, kind of getting the song you want to play ready and then playing the song without getting ground to dust by the monster that you're hunting. Um, so I think that uh, I think that even in the third generation, there were uh, weapons that had a lot more complexity that you just never experienced. Well, that's, that's the thing. I was doing that with the hunting horn in three, mm -hmm. and I picked the hunting horn because it seemed like the most interesting weapon in the game with the most variety right i was looking at every other weapon in the game and like the great sword is like okay i swing it real hard and then i swing it real hard to the side and those are all of my options that pretty much was the great sword for a long time <laughs> that is true okay yeah so in monster hunter 3 you're sort of doing uh with the exception of the weapon that i was trying to use which was a very complicated weapon it maybe it shouldn't have been my first i don't know uh <laughs> but i i like, I picked between being confused and being bored, and I picked being confused. I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> At least being confused is interesting. Man, what a choice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel like if you were a reviewer for IGN, that would have been your headline for your Monster Hunter 3U review. Uh, 3 was just, was just a slug. You're just doing these repetitive actions against these monsters that took seven years to die. <laughs> in, in Monster Hunter World, like, every monster you fight has, like, two-thirds the life bar that they did in 3. Really, from 4 you on, that's been true. And Monster Hunter World is... Fights will still be 25 minutes long sometimes. So three... But they can be a satisfying 25 minutes. Yes, yes, and I, I do agree with that, yes. Going from 3 to World, I was I was very tentative about that aspect of the game. But, A, using the weapons has become more fun. Like, even even my bow, which has, you know, maybe, maybe a handful of different actions I can do with it, they all can apply in different ways to a lot of different situations and, uh, and can be really satisfying to use. And it has, like, this super move I can do where, like, I press triangle and circle at the same time, and I do this giant shot that does, like, uh, ten hits in a row if I connect with it. The uh, Dragon Piercer is what he's talking about. Yes, yes. The, the Dragon Piercer. The bow is very fun for me, actually, and I like using it a lot. I had trouble finding any weapon I liked using over and over in 3. The grinding is fine when the game is fun. Right. And mm -hmm. Mon in Monster Hunter World, uh, grinding is fun. This actually, the whole purpose of this conversation was to be an intervention. So you've successfully completed the intervention. <laughs> the Monster Hunter intervention. <laughs> uh, so I think we talked about it a little bit. Um, I, I think now would be a good time to talk about the weapons that we're using. Sure. Yeah. Um, so Daniel, you kind of just talked a little bit about the bow. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about the path of the bow that you're currently on? And oh, sure. What well, you're enjoying and disliking about the bow and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One one thing that I actually haven't mentioned about the bow is like there's another layer of complexity that it has where every sort of bow tree you can do has a certain amount of coatings that you can put onto your arrows uh, that can do different things. Uh, you can put a paralysis coating on your arrows that uh, that have a chance of paralyzing the monsters, or a sleep coating that you know self-explanatory uh, has a very small chance of putting the monster to sleep if you hit them with enough 
uh, of those sleep arrows. I have uh, a Kuluyaku bow, which I've leveled up enough to be called this fancy thing called the Archer's Dance. Uh, I have a max out Archer's Dance bow, and the thing with that is that it has a thing called Blast Coating, a Cliff's Notes for the <laughs> Blast status. It's kind of complicated. Uh, is that the more I hit it with Blast Arrows, the more damage I do. Every, like, ten times or so that I hit it with Blast, I get this extra burst of damage on it. There's sort of, like, this this payoff in hitting it with Blast Arrows a lot. I'm also wearing an armor set that sort of gives me better Blast stats. So uh, I've been calling it the Blaster Master build. That's, because, such a, that's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I just go in and I wail on monsters and and load them up with blast effects, and uh, and then they just, it stacks up on them so much that they just suffer. It's great. <laughs> That's awesome. If you keep playing the game, which I think is a, co- a question we can ask at the end, uh, you'll still use the bow for a while, but you are starting to think maybe about branching out into other weapons. Maybe. Uh, I guess once I get tired of my, my maxed out archer's right. dance, I, I can see myself branching out to something else. I still have my eye on the hunting horn, eventually. Sure. It's it's a fun move set, and I'm enjoying seeing the variety of move sets that there are. I one thing I was telling you guys uh, while we were playing through was that I was worried that oh, there are six elements that each that each weapon can have in this game, and that each monster can be like. What once you get to the late game, it felt like there was just like one best weapon you could have for each element, and then that's it. So there's probably just six different move sets running around high ranked right. online. Uh, I realize it's so much more complicated right, than that. Right, that's actually not the case. And there's so yeah. much more variety than that. Like, I can I can have this this crazy blast move set, and someone else can have something that doubles down on, on like, defensive capabilities right. or, or, like, other wacky things. Um, and that was, that was a relief to me. That was, that was a very pleasant surprise. Nice. Cool. There's Monster Hunter speedrunners who will, like, kind of, they call it clown suiting in the community, which is like put on a bunch of weird different pieces of armor that somehow mesh together. Uh, you know, they're speedrunners who will figure out like, how can I pump out the most possible right. damage? They're still min-maxing. Yeah, but that's yeah. not all that Monster Hunter is. Right. Really, some of my favorite builds that I've done in past Monster Hunter games have been like about afflicting the monster with status effects or just focusing on mounting the monster over and over again or, you know, kind of more support-oriented builds. And I've really right. enjoyed doing those. Polygon has a sometime series where they stream Monster Hunter hmm. and Griffin McElroy figured out uh, an armor set that increases airtime with a hammer. So he calls it his jump man. And, um, <laughs> like he, he mounts monsters constantly because the hammer is a really easy uh, weapon to mount with. And then his armor is built to make him be able to do it better and more frequently. So like that's objectively not a min-maxi position right. to be in. But it's really but fun. But it's really fun, right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there isn't, again, like there's min-maxing, but there's not an objective best, you know, weapon for each monster or whatever. Nice. That's actually a really great segue into the weapon that I'm using because yeah. it's the hammer. Yes. <laughs> um, when we uh, were originally talking about playing the game, I was kind of deciding between the hammer and the insect clave. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the insect clave. Uh, I think one of the reasons I didn't choose it was because Sean was using it at the time and he uses like six different weapons. So I, I didn't necessarily have to worry about using the same one as him, but mm-hmm. it just felt like a good incentive to use a weapon that none of the three of us were thinking about or yeah. rather <laughs> neither of you were thinking about. Yeah. Um, and I started playing around with the hammer and I just, it's so satisfying. <laughs> I love using the hammer so much, which is probably sometimes frustrating for you guys because <laughs> the trade off with the hammer is it does ridiculous amounts of damage. 
but you uh, frequently get locked into um, attack animations that you can't stop. Right. So I do kind of die the most of us. Um, it's very it's high risk, high reward. It know? is, yeah. and I'm learning that negotiation. Um, currently, I'm learning it against elder dragons, which is a really <laughs> it's a really tough learning curve. No. Um, but I am figuring that out as I go along, and I just the hammer is so satisfying when you connect with a monster's head and you dizzy it, uh, or when you knock it out, or even when you mount it. It's just specifically there's this move um, when where you're sliding down a um, a hill. Uh, if you release <laughs> the charge button, you just do this automatic spinning attack where you just spin end over end and you hit the monster like seven times with your hammer. And it looks really cool on screen. It also feels really satisfying when you land it. Yeah. Um, so there's all these like little hidden moves with the, man- the hammer where it's not just you're not just mashing a button and wailing on a monster over and over again. Yeah. Depending on where you are on the topography, there's like all these different things you can do. And you can charge it and do different things. And there's like hidden complexity in the hammer that I, I just really love. I uh, my off weapon is a sword and shield that I use when I need to be more defensive because I can be with that. I'm also building up an insect clave, which I may or may not use, and I'm starting to get interested in building up a long sword um, on the uh, basil guy's chain. So I'm really excited to use that because that also has blast element, which mm. is something that I, I don't use currently. Um, so that's me, Sean. There are 14 weapons in this game. You use most of them. Yeah. Why don't you highlight a couple favorites rather than talking about all the ones you use? Sure, that's fair. Also, I'd just like to note for diehard Monster Hunter fans listening to this podcast, none of us know how to pronounce Basil Geist or Basil Juice or whatever. I mostly call him Bagel is. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just call him Basil. You uh, like to call him the Basil of Baker Street, Basil which is Baker very Street, good. Yes. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, so I'm sorry if that's hurting your ears. Uh, so I do use a lot of weapons in this game, as I have historically throughout the franchise. My three favorites are, first of all, the Charge Blade. There's a couple weapons in the game that kind of morph between different forms, and uh, the Charge Blade is one of those. It starts off as kind of like a slower and more ponderous and more powerful version of the Sword and Shield. As you're fighting with it, you charge up these elemental vials... And you can then kind of load them into your weapon by performing a specific action. And then when you transition from sword and shield mode to um, axe mode, you can spend those vials to do extra damage and to stun monsters if you have uh, impact vials. It's a very cool weapon to watch in action. Right. Yeah, it's cool to watch in action. It's I If I had to choose what the most complicated weapon is in the game, it would hands down be the charge blade. You can kind of like charge up your shield with the vials. You can charge up your sword. And so there's just a lot of resource management. It almost feels like doing a rotation in an MMORPG. Like there's <laughs> a lot to keep track of when you're using that weapon. But when you use it well, it's very satisfying to use. Um, I also like the Switch Axe, which is another uh, much less complicated transformation weapon where you transition between an axe mode, which is kind of much more agile, and a sword mode, which is much slower but more powerful. And uh, you do that by, um, when you're in sword mode, you kind of spend this meter that you build up while you're in axe mode. Um, And the goal is really to just kind of be in sword mode as much as you can and rack up lots of damage. But I enjoy using both forms, and I use them more situationally than a lot of people do. The final (laughs) weapon that I'm going to talk about is is the Insect Glaive. I've been using it a lot uh, during this playthrough. I think it's very satisfying. Um, It is the most aerially focused weapon in the game. You can kind of pull vault with it and then stay in the air for a while by doing air combos. And uh, you have a bug called a kinsect that hangs out on your arm. 
and you can kind of send that out to harass the monster and to bring back extracts that you buff yourself with. So basically, I just really like using the three most complicated weapons in the game <laughs> um, because now I've kind of, you know, I've been I've been using all three of them for a while and uh, kind of got them down to a science, and uh, I just find them uh, immensely satisfying to use correctly. Yeah, they're definitely very cool to watch. Like when when you're using the insect clave and you're like just flipping around <laughs> on the screen like a crazy thing, it's really cool, <laughs> it's really cool to watch. Yeah. Um, what I like about all three of these weapons is that they all serve different purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, the switch axe, the insect glaive, the charge blade all do like cutting damage and, and you can get in there and, and like swipe away at a monster's tail. Right. Um, the hammer is just about knocking monsters out and doing massive amounts of damage at once. And then the bow is about like, you know, being positionally aware. The dragon piercer, the way it works is the more length of body you hit, the more damage it does. Yeah. So like on a long monster, like hitting it on its tail, the tip, like you do a shit ton of damage. Yeah. So like the bow is about positioning and it's also good at cutting tails off and things like that. And I think that these weapons work well in concert together. I, I agree. I think that uh, inadvertently the three of us have chosen weapons that complement each other really well yeah Yeah. Um, and so that's really cool it is so that's uh we covered a couple different things what i love about the way daniel did the outline for this is uh he (laughs) under monster hunter world he put a monsters b hunters and c worlds (laughs) (laughs) which i think is really cute um so we've covered hunters we've covered worlds i think yeah so lastly let's just touch quickly on the monsters in the game and i want to start this off by circling back to something i said earlier which was uh, a couple of different times in this game you've been pleasantly surprised we mentioned it with uh with the weapons earlier yeah and one of the things you said the other night was um you asked sean uh how many of the designs in this game were new yeah and your expectation was that it was going to be not very many yeah if not zero and right. sean how yeah. much of this game is new monsters um off the top of my head i would say that the majority of the monsters in this game are new to the yeah. which is awesome yeah uh, that's really, really cool. I've enjoyed kind of learning how to fight them and fighting them. Um, one, uh, actually, criticism I had of the game, I took notes um, that I've been kind of referring to as I've been talking. Some of the old monsters feel very old now. You sure. know, um, I think, like, for instance, if you're fighting something like Odagaran or Toby Kadachi or any of these new monsters that kind of move very fluidly and are kind of, like, looking at you when they're thinking about attacking you and, like, turning their head and kind of lurching at you in these really fast and responsive ways to compare that with like fighting diablos which has like three moves and spams them constantly (laughs) and these wacky hitboxes where like i can be above and behind him and attacking his tail and if he charges i get hit i mean they're really showing their age and um i think a lot of the really the much older monsters like diablos has been in the game since monster hunter one as have rathalos and rathian it would be nice if their kind of mechanics were, in my view, uh, completely redesigned. That's a mm. really interesting yeah. context to have. Yeah. And I, I like that you mentioned Toby Kodachi because he's absolutely <laughs> one of my favorite monsters. He's our mascot. Yeah. <laughs> he's so we, cute. We did this hunt where we were, I don't even remember what we were hunting. <laughs> what I do remember about this hunt is that Toby Kodachi was skulking around like the emo kid who sits at his own lunch table for the entire fight. Yeah. Like we were like running around chasing after whatever fucking monster we were hunting and just be like, oh, there's Toby Kodachi <laughs> just hanging out, walking was around. Was it a or? I think so. Yeah. Was, yeah, yeah like Rathalos or Rathian. Yeah. But that was... <laughs> That has brought me so much joy. And now every time I hunt Toby Kodachi, I think about that. Toby Kodachi is like a, a giant flying squirrel that shoots out electricity. Right. Yeah. And his design is amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's the design great. of his armor is also really cool. Yeah, yeah, his cool armor. That that was one of the 
full sets that I made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was one of the first ones, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think another of our favorite monsters collectively is uh, Dodo Gama. Yes. Dodo Gama's great. <laughs> Dodo, Dodo Gama is a monster in the final area. Um, he's like a giant fire slug. <laughs> a lizard yeah. thing and yeah. he's adorable and so fun to wail on I, I, and yeah. maybe the best way i can think to describe him is he's like a pudgy gecko yeah, yeah. well kind of i think you have a better way to describe him uh, oh that's right i i mentioned the other day that he's like the neville longbottom <laughs> of monster hunter because he looks really goofy and so you underestimate him and then you know in the case of neville he's like killing nagini and being essential <laughs> to the end of that story in the case of Dodogama, he's just spitting fireballs at you and covering you in blast element and wrecking your shit because you're going in and thinking to yourself, oh, it's, whatever, it's a little stupid little gecko, I can take care of it. And then uh, this is embarrassing to admit to as a veteran of Monster Hunter who's been playing these games for over 10 years. The first time I fought Dodogama, I carded to him twice in a row <laughs> because I just wasn't expecting that he'd, he'd do that much damage to me, uh, but he did. Yeah, Dodogama just has a great, like, dopey design. I mentioned Monster Hunter Stories a little earlier, uh, which is sort of this Pokemon-esque spinoff of the Monster Hunter franchise. I really hope that someday we get a Monster Hunter Stories 2, and that Dodogama is an <laughs> obtainable monster in that. that would because be so I would great. love just a pet Dodogama. That'd be great. <laughs> I think those are the kind of the main coherent topics. I think there's still some miscellaneous stuff to talk about. First of all, Sean... I would love to get your opinion on this game through the lens of being a colorblind gamer. Um, can you share your colorblind um, status and and how this game works with that? Absolutely, yeah. I'm red-green colorblind. You know, there's, there's kind of degrees of it. Uh, there's different ways in which you can be colorblind. I can tell the difference between traffic light red and traffic light green, but there are a lot of shades of those colors where I just can't tell them apart. I've noticed actually with a lot of Japanese games that they don't seem to take colorblindness into account, whereas with stuff like Overwatch, there's like a colorblind mode with sliders you can adjust to make it easier to tell what's going on. With Monster Hunter, there are a lot of problems playing this game colorblind. Like, uh, for instance, one thing I find frustrating is that I cannot tell the difference between green sharpness and the level of sharpness below green sharpness. It's yellow. Okay, okay. So, like, I'll be, and, and they're both kind of very muted shades yeah. of their respective yeah. colors. So, I'll be down to yellow sharpness, and I'll suddenly start, like, bouncing off of the monster's hide, and I'll be thinking, what's going on? I have green. Oh, no, I don't. And then I'll go and sharpen, and I'll see, like, okay, now it's refilling uh, off to green. Um, I think you also sometimes have a, dif- a difficulty telling the difference between Rathian and Rathalos. Like, quickly, yes, if yes. they're both in the same area. And there, there are uh, tells that I've taught myself because right. of this. Uh, Rathalos, for instance, has kind of patterns on his wings that Rathian doesn't have. Hmm. Rathian has sort of this fur on its back that Rathalos doesn't have. From a distance, I cannot tell which monster is which until they start using the moves that I recognize. Um, I think that's especially true because if I had to guess, I would say that this is the Monster Hunter with kind of the most muted color palette that's ever been released, Hmm. except maybe for like the first one. And so a lot of the time, like, it's difficult for me to tell monsters apart, or it's difficult for me to tell a monster apart from its environment. Um, and then the other frustrating thing, just in terms of user interface, is that um, when you are uh, using the Insect Glaive, you can get three different color extracts to buff yourself. For a long time, I didn't know what the third color was. I knew that it was, like, red, white, and something. <laughs> uh, turns out that it's, like, yellow, orange, so, orange. Yeah, yeah. I think it's orange or yellow. Um, I just didn't know what color that was. Uh, and so even now, like, when, you, when your Kinsect collects an extract, 
you you can see what color it is. Like it kind of there's an element of your UI that lights up. So sometimes I'll hit a monster, think, great, I got the third extract, pull it back, and I actually got the red one. And oh. I wasn't able to tell the difference. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, definitely not game-breaking. No. But frustrate, passively frustrating well, in the way that playing games often is for me. And these, mm-hmm. this, this is worth pointing out because it's like, right, like you said, you're still playing loving Monster Hunter World. This doesn't make you not want to play the game. But these are easy things to fix. Yes. Yeah, these are very, true. very easy things to fix. And there's just no excuse for a, a developer to not consider uh, colorblindness when they're designing their game. Especially a game like Monster Hunter that is so dependent on being able to quickly recognize and react <laughs> to things. Like That's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, what the yeah. game is. And any slowdown in the processing of that makes it a harder experience. So mm-hmm. uh, it's there's definitely no excuse. I appreciate you bringing that up because... I wouldn't have brought it up because it's just something I don't, it's something I expect. Right. For right. me, like I'm, I'm also, in addition to being colorblind, I'm very tall uh, <laughs> and uh, kind of very broad shouldered. And so in the same way that I often don't even think about colorblind friendliness in games, because I expect games to be colorblind unfriendly. It's in this kind of same way, like, well, I won't be able to fit in that car. You know, it's right. not like something I get mad about. It's just something that exists and that I deal with. Right. And it would be nice if uh, there was more consideration for, you know, um, people who have kind of different lived experiences because of disabilities or quirks about themselves. Exactly. Not that e- even if it were difficult, <laughs> there'd still be no excuse for them not to do it. Right. So yes. I don't want to I don't want to make that, ex- <laughs> that potential excuse. Right. Difficulty yeah, yeah. is not a barrier to doing the right thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, some other miscellaneous thoughts. Uh, I think it would be nice to touch briefly on the character creator, less so for yourself, and more so the character creator for your Palico. Because <laughs> I think we can all agree that was the best part of the game. Yeah, no, that was, it was yeah, fantastic. Um, that was definitely the most enjoyment I got out of the very early game, was was customizing myself and, to a greater extent, uh, my Palico. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> one, one fun side effect of the game, uh, actually was Max and I uh, each uh, made a palico based off of our dogs. <laughs> uh, Max made a palico uh, based off his dog Lorelai. I made a palico that I named after my dog, uh, my little shih tzu named Ziggy. Uh, and I would talk to my palico as I played the game a lot. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, good job, Ziggy. You're doing real good. And then my dog Ziggy would like, you know, lying down, down on the couch next to me. would be like, oh, and I'd be like, no, I, I meant... I meant the cat in this video game. I'm sorry, actual dog that I have. This was a mistake. <laughs> Palicos are such a great part of Monster Hunter. I love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character creator for it was amazing. It's adorable. Yeah. And like fine. And the, some of the gear, so you can also equip your Palico in armor. Some of the Palico armor is just like so amazing. Yeah. Frankly, it's, a yeah. lot of the Palico armor designs are better than oh, the yeah. human armor design. Yes. Easily. Yeah. Like uh, the uh, Radabon uh, oh, Palico yeah, yeah. armor makes it kind of look as though it's in like a diva mech <laughs> uh, like from Overwatch. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, just a lot of really cool stuff happening. Uh, whoever did that obviously had a lot of fun doing it. The the Teostra armor that Ziggy's currently in. Oh, uh, oh yeah, Ma- makes him look like a fancy little British cat. <laughs> He's got like a wig. Yeah. A blonde wig. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Uh, it's, yeah, great great they've been kind of like the palico system has undergone a lot of kind of uh you know design changes they've kind of refined it throughout the franchise i think this is uh as is the case with many things about monster hunter world this is the best that it's ever been 
like previously you had to kind of scout different cats and they had like random abilities and stats and things like that and then you had to like train them and do all this weird stuff i really like that i can just have my palico along with me and he's automatically really good at what he does and does it a lot you know i appreciate that yeah any other miscellaneous thoughts guys uh, we haven't mentioned the best part of Monster Hunter World yet. <laughs> no, we did. It was Palico creation. <laughs> we haven't we haven't mentioned the second best part of Monster Hunter World yet. Is it fighting Diablos? No, it's Poogies. <laughs> oh, Poogies! <laughs> uh, oh, in, in Monster Hunter World, in the main hub world that you navigate uh, in between missions, there is a little pig that runs around that you can befriend and... And uh, name. And, and name and... Uh, and basically, like, if you put in time with a poogie and you pet it a lot, it, like, falls in love with you, and then it'll run around the map, like, finding little treasures for you. And some of those treasures are costumes They're that great. you can put the poogie in. <laughs> They're so great. Yeah. Uh, my poogie, uh, Mikey Poogie, and... Uh, it's a reference to Meet the Robinsons. <laughs> Greatest uh, movie. <laughs> is, uh, is currently, like, dressed up like a little tadpole. Uh, hog and a frog. Hog and a frog is what the costume is called. <laughs> uh, I have experienced so much unironic joy from playing with my pet pig in that game. There was, and that, it's such during, a minor part of the game. During that period of time when Daniel was really frustrated because he was far behind us, that was transparently the thing yes. he enjoyed the most about the game. <laughs> he would be like really sour about whatever quest we'd just done. Then he'd come back like, oh, Mike Apugian. Oh, you're such a good boy. Come here. I'm going to pet you. Like, oh, no, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> even to this day, when Daniel's now enjoying the actual loop of the game there's a good chance that if we're waiting for him to load into a quest it's because he's doing something with mike right yeah we're like daniel where are you and we can tell because he's talking to it in the way that people talk about their human children yeah this is accurate Uh, well i guess it's time for our final thoughts on monster hunter um i would say for my final thought monster hunter is a game that is so weird (laughs) <laughs> because it really shines after you've put in 40 hours yeah which is a really weird thing to say about a game while praising it yeah but if anyone out there is listening and is on the fence about getting monster hunter or has monster hunter and hasn't connected with it i'm not saying put 40 hours into the game and then you'll be satisfied but for me it was a really frustrating experience but i could see where it was going and by about hour 40 or so i was sold um i love this game I want to keep playing more of this game. I I hope I do. As I said earlier, it's really hard for me to switch back and forth between games. So especially as we do this podcast, it might be hard. Yeah. Um, I don't see myself playing this game solo. But what I said last night while we were on our, uh, on our hunt was I'll probably play this game until Sean stops playing. As long as I can play online with friends. I don't have any interest in playing online with randoms. And I don't say that to exclude Daniel. I just think it's likely Sean will play the game longer. Yeah. I will keep playing this game at least intermittently as long as I have friends playing it. I know that I could see myself getting into the 150 plus hour territory with this game if I have the ability to dedicate time to it, which is questionable. But that's my final thought. If you can get past the initial bullshit that is in this game, and some of that is because the game takes forever for you to learn its mechanics, a lot of it's still very obtuse. Yeah, yeah. I think We didn't really touch on that very much. Yeah, that's one thing we kind of glazed over is that the game what it has in the way of tutorials very lackluster and they're not good tutorials yeah no bad tutorials you have to learn the mechanics of the game by playing them which is which can be very frustrating yeah but all Uh, in all 
fantastic game. I'm excited to play more. Uh, I think I said to Sean, like, instead of recording talking about Monster Hunter, can we just <laughs> right. play more Monster Hunter? <laughs> so that's where I'll leave it for me. My final thoughts on Monster Hunter are that it really is a good game once you put the time in. There's a lot of time you have to put in before it becomes a really good game. Like Max just said, the process of learning how to play the game could probably not be more frustrating. Well, actually, yes, it could, it could be, be more frustrating. Yeah. Historically, it has <laughs> yes, been more frustrating. It, it absolutely could be more frustrating because it has been. I played a game where it was. But they've definitely still got a lot of progress to make in that area. I benefited a lot from playing the game alongside a, a comparative expert in yes. the series. Yeah. Thank uh, you again, Monster Dad. <laughs> abs- absolutely, Sean. Yeah, Sean, Sean playing through the game with us and teaching us how to play the game definitely made it much less of a pain. Yes. Uh, but the fact that like he had to do the legwork instead of the video game that we spent a lot of money on, right. uh, that does not earn it any points for sure. However, once once I got into the end game, once I got uh, to the the end of the main story, and I was able to play high rank missions, the game legitimately got a lot of fun. I was able to fully enjoy playing it with my friends, and uh, and there's a lot of great action gameplay in here. I wasn't expecting to play past the main story. Max and I are both at a point in the game where we're both really close to beating the true final boss, and I want to at least commit to doing that before I before I maybe stop, and I could see myself playing past that even. Uh, there's still things I need to do to uh, really max out my armor's playstyle that I've been setting as a goal for myself. So I want to at least, like, get that full Blaster Master goodness before I shelve the game, and I could see myself even learning new weapons and new armor sets after that. That makes me really happy to hear. Yeah. And before we get to Sean's final thoughts, I do want to once again, like, as you said, thank Sean for helping us through this process. Yes. Because it really would have been just untenable yeah otherwise so everyone out there if you're gonna play monster hunter make sure you get a sean in your life <laughs> um, thank you sean and then i also want to thank you because it can be hard to be asked to revisit a series you don't like mm-hmm. um, and to be asked to do so objectively because for the purposes of this podcast of course you had to enter it objectively right so i i, I do appreciate that you did that and that you put over 50 hours into this game already which was a gamble for you and and i and i want to thank you for doing that yeah, uh, no problem. Like, I, w- I was actually happy to do that, especially because Sean has loved the Monster Hunter franchise right. like it was his own child <laughs> for, like, over half of our friendship. Uh, so, you know, I, I, in- I indulged him with Monster Hunter 3. I did not enjoy myself, but I wanted I wanted to give this franchise another chance, one that was so dear to a close friend of mine, uh, and I'm I'm glad I did. Yeah, I'm, now I'm you don't have to. Yeah, now you don't have to get him a birthday gift. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, Sean! I played Monster Hunter like I said I would. Good. No, and your your you know your buy-in into this whole thing uh, felt very kind of uh, deliberate and authentic, and I appreciate the degree with to which you kind of invested yourself in this project. So uh, thank you. So let's turn it to the the Monster Hunter fanatic. <laughs> The expert, Sean Mudd, are your final thoughts on Monster Hunter World? This game for me is, it feels like such an incredible leap forward for the franchise that I have difficulty putting it into words. I think that even though there's still a long way to go before the, you know, uh, Monster Hunter games will be as as kind of accessible and as noob-friendly as I want them to be, 
this is so much better, you know, in terms of kind of in, in terms of that uh, than previous games. Um, and I really, really appreciate that, you know, they kind of finally released a Monster Hunter game that kind of onboards this well and engages this well. I'm really looking forward to what they do, you know, with the future of this game and the future of the franchise. I feel as though just like the sales numbers and the number of people streaming this game really suggests that to a degree Monster Hunter has finally kind of broken out into the mainstream. And I think they've done it in a way that was ultimately really satisfying for me and it didn't feel kind of phoned in or like they were just kind of cashing out, you know. Um, I like this game a lot and uh, I'm absolutely going to rack up hundreds of hours of playtime. <laughs> I'm going to be playing this game in 2020. Like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on board the Monster Hunter World train choo-choo. So yeah, those were our thoughts on Monster Hunter. Thank you again, Sean, for joining us on that. If you out there want to share any of your thoughts on Monster Hunter, please do feel free to contact us. Our email is feedback at playthispodcast.com. Yeah. You can also find us on Twitter at playthispodcast on twitter.com. Um, <laughs> so Sean, yes. in a further flip of the format... Ooh, that was a lot of Fs. <laughs> you're... <laughs> okay, I didn't say it like that. Like that. <laughs> Sean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Come on. I know you're going to cut that out, but please, like, save it just so that we have it, just so that we can listen to it if we I want might not to. Cut it. We'll see. Okay, uh, Sean, you're actually in a further flip of the format. I don't know why I said it again. You're not going to cut me out. Oh, Jesus. You're actually recommending a game to us to play. I am. Uh, that you will not play because you've already played it. So it's not I like have. Monster Hunter exactly. But <laughs> right. what is the game that you're recommending to us? Um, so initially I was hesitant to suggest another action RPG after you guys just played through an action RPG. But the game that I'm recommending to you is Odin Sphere Leifrasier. Um, I don't have to learn how to say it, right? <laughs> no, and just like Basil Geist, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Um, Odin Sphere Basil Geist, got it. <laughs> <laughs> the original Odin Sphere came out for the PlayStation 2, and it's uh, one of my favorite action RPGs, and it's because of kind of how ambitious it is and how many new things that they try. Um, I think that as you play it, you will encounter kind of aspects of the gameplay and different things that they're doing that are unlike anything you've ever seen in an action RPG even today, the art is really gorgeous. It's by Vanillaware, who historically has just released games with really excellent kind of um, hand-drawn art. Um, and Life Thazir in particular, it is uh, much more than a mere port. It really enhances the game in a number of ways that I think make it much more palatable to an audience of kind of 20-teen gamers. Um, nice. And so uh, I hope that you have a good time with it. And this is a, this is a remake of the original for the PS4, right? Uh, that is correct, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. So you've got kind of enhanced graphics, improved gameplay, and a much better translation, uh, which <laughs> is good, because the plot of the first game was sometimes difficult to comprehend. So Odin Sphere Life Thrasier is my recommendation. I hope that you both enjoy it, and I'll look forward to hearing your thoughts on it. And uh, we're excited to play it, so... Uh, yeah, I played like two hours of the first, of the original version on PS2, and I had a good time with that. Obviously not good enough a time that you continued to play it after those two hours. Yeah, it's not that it was a bad game. Like, the deathness of the story that I wasn't quite understanding, and some things being kind of hard to understand in general, uh, sort of held me back from playing it. Things that the remaster, the, the remake, seems, seems to address. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to checking that out. And I don't think Max has played a sense of this game. Uh, I have not. Uh, an iota. 
So t- tune in next time to see if Daniel gets further than two hours in <laughs> to Odin Sphere Lifesizer. Who knows? Sean's... Maybe we'll be playing Monster Hunter that whole time. <laughs> <laughs> There's a chance. That's Sean's recommendation for us. Again, tune in next time and you will hear us talk about that game. Uh, for now, thank you so much for listening. As always, if you enjoyed, please do like, comment, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help out a lot to see that feedback and to have that feedback reported. So we appreciate anything you might be able to do on that end. On behalf of myself, Sean, and Daniel, it's dangerous to game alone. Play this! Uh, I wasn't expecting Sean to come in. Well, I always come in. Goodbye, everybody. Bye! (laughs) Game over.